Jeffrey. What's that you have in your hand, boy? Pass it over. A telegram. Oh dear. Seems someone has been biting me. Fetch me my trousers at once. No, not those. Those are my time travel trousers. Those are my tea trousers. That's it. Those ones. My fighting trousers. foray into the rap business Hello, and see you welcome back we are rocking it socks straight up from the wall of it to get to the bacon bunker in the midst of electric boogaloo lockdown v2 oh yeah you're uh here with the bacon burgers uh wild blue cheese on the mic at the moment joined by sneaky cheese and the restless wargamer from the good old northern rivers Mr. Uh, Seal the Deal with a Panther is joining us today live on the mic. How are we doing? Yeah, good. Uh, this podcast is in no way sponsored by Panther Sales. I'd just like everyone to know that. You're kind of like a like a pikey, you know. They seal their deals with a dog or a dog. Uh, yours is sealed with a panther, I think. Uh, Do you like panthers? I got a panther for you. You got a panther in you? <laughs> I think I've got a uh, almost a complete panther company thanks to you um, sitting on my Yeah, shelf. almost. It's going to remain almost because I'm not selling you that last one. <laughs> I'm sure I can print one out. Uh, so, gents, um, two-thirds of us here today are... Uh, sitting at home in lockdown um someone from the far north is enjoying relative freedoms at the moment uh how are we traveling gents bored as hell man i've been in this house since oh it seems like forever <laughs> like literally uh, for those for those of you outside of australia uh melbourne where where uh, most of us Louvi is now in its second round of, of lockdown um, with no end in sight. Uh, and uh, so we, we had the first round, which was, what, six weeks. It looked like things were coming right, and then it just went to custard, and we're right back where we started. Um, There's a, yeah. a great meme that's been doing the rounds um, with the uh, Simpsons when Homer joined the Stonecutters and had to tow along the... Uh, the great big uh, boulder of shame. Um, <laughs> yeah. un- unhook the uh, state of emergency and then hook up the state of disaster. <laughs> Change one boulder for the next. When uh, when I first saw that, I, I replied to it with like the Stonecutters song, you know, uh, who keeps COVID going around? Who keeps Melbourne locked right down? We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> 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 so uh, yes, as as mentioned, we are locked down thanks to the Rona. We're all in ISO using plenty of hand sanny. Um, <laughs> um, so not a lot going on in the Melbourne scene for bolt action of the past well, almost what three four months at least. No, nothing. I mean, we it looked like everything was going to open up again, and you know, I had stuff club games teed up. We we're actually going to do a. Um, uh, Napoleonics tournament at the league, and uh, yeah, for obvious reasons, we had to had to can that. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Moab this year. Yeah, or uh, other states have been talking about closing borders and um, lockdowns again. So uh, yeah, I suppose it remains to be seen uh, how the b- pandemic pans out, so to speak. <laughs> 
Uh, having That's said true. that, uh, I know those lucky bastards down in Tasmania have got absolutely coming on the 22nd of August. I, for one, am extremely jealous that I can't be there, um, given that is, in my opinion, uh, one of Australia's most premier terrained events. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Like, just the idea of having a big moat between all of the Victorians and them, it seems to have done them wonders. <laughs> kind of wish I had one. <laughs> I'm, I've got a wood canal. I mean, that's kind of like a trash-filled moat, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Yeah, guys, I don't want to depress you even more, but there are plans in New South Wales to build a wall on the Victorian border, and we're going to make you Vixkins pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can be like, uh, they just discovered that, like, AAA-grade tunnel under the uh, Mexican border the other day. We'll be like that. (laughs) I can just see the the bridges over New South Wales, uh, a la... the uh, bridge too far. The uh, New South Wel- Welshmen are uh, lining with explosives and rushing to blow the bridges as hordes of Victorians rush forward to get over, <laughs> seize the bridges in time to get a bridgehead in uh, up north. That sounds about right. Look, it's New South Wales. It'll take us 15 years just to get the planning through. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Turner, what's, uh, what's the scene up north like? Um, not having quite the strict lockdowns, is there anything uh, going Pretty on dead, really. Most people just sort of turtled up as soon as the lockdown went in. And with the the local gaming club that we go to is at a um, a bowls club. So when they closed down, we just went, okay, well, everything's off. So not yeah. a great deal happening. As far as I know, Moab is still running, though, which I don't know how that's going to go. I suppose it uh, all depends on the next... Um month or two if, uh, mm. if the outbreaks continue on. Uh, is there much garage gaming going on, at least up, up north? Uh, all the garage gaming is going on in Queensland, which is over the border, um, which is currently sealed now. So, no, not even garage gaming. Uh, well, shout out to all, uh, all our uh, yokel brethren uh, north of the river and... Um, <laughs> Stay safe. Stay hey, who well. y'all calling low yokel? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so a bit dead on all fronts. Uh, watching the bolt action pages from around the globe, uh, I can see some venues around the world. Obviously, you've got uh, things have run a bit better than they have here, so um, are opening up to events. Uh, quite a few people. Um, doing quite a bit of garage gaming popping up on the Bolt Actions national page, which is good to see. Uh, it makes me even more jealous, but, you know, is what it is. It doesn't help with Russ putting up pictures every other night of another game in his garage or his shed. Oh, that Pacific t- table, the Tarawa table that he's just done. Oh, my God, that is amazing. Folks, um, if you have not seen it or do not know what we're talking about, jump on the Bolt Action Tasmania or the... Now, I always get this wrong. The democratically elected Republic of... Players. Players. There we go. The Dirt page. And um, check out Akhtar's most gorgeous uh, Tarawa table. Um, I know he was drip-feeding me sneak peeks of it as he was making it. And, oh, my God, it makes the mouth water and the uh, paintbrushes run wet. (laughs) If you play at Tasmania... Not all that snowflock is snowflock. Some of it was provided by Rubes. Hey, when the terrain's hot, it's hot. Yeah, but dude, that was just indecent. 
<laughs> yeah, well, uh, it had it coming. Anywho, um, shall we move on to uh, hobby progress? Game. Ah, uh, what little hobby progress there is. So, uh, Harry, do you want uh, Harry? Do you want to uh, lead the way? I lockdown sort of sent me into a tiny bit of insanity when it started. So instead of doing what normal people do and pick up a scalpel and some plastic sprues, I picked up a rule book and a word document and started recosting my way through the multiple of every single book. I'm still not sure why I'm doing that or when it's going to be finished, but I'm working on it. Um, it's actually, it's turned out all right. With a few rules changes, a lot of things come back into balance and we no longer see giant tanks being giant paperweights. So optimism, I think. Nice. I, um, I've actually got a King Tiger sitting on my uh, painting desk at the moment with a base coat on, so, you know, it may actually see the lot of day one uh, sometime. Well, if memory serves, that's dropped down to 385 points regular. Oh, is that all? Yeah. <laughs> is that all? <laughs> hey, if you can play a list with a Tiger in it, you can play a list with a King Tiger in it now. So... Panthers come down to 280, and I think Tigers have come down to 305. Wow, cool. I, I've got all sorts of big cats, and you know, I don't think I've even used half of them. I, I don't think I've ever used a uh, young tiger. Uh, I do remember yeah. using a panther at um, All Quiet on the festive front last year. Yeah, pa panther's okay, but... Um, yeah, the tiger, king tiger, yug tiger. Mm. <laughs> it's just such an awful lot of points. Well, I mean, 560 for what is effectively a single-shot tank. Everyone looks at that and just goes, mm, no. Yeah, but it's just something that you can avoid and go, yeah, okay, I'll just ignore it. And yeah, kill just around it. I mean, hopefully when these are finished, we may I'll trial them at events and we may actually see a bit of variation in lists now rather than just the stock standard, oh, yeah, here's my Panzer four and, you know, four units of veterans. Yeah. No, then again, I mean, for me personally, I always like taking something a little oddball or uh, not regularly seen, like my SIG-33 for my DAC army. Um, so I'll be keen to see how yes, some of the... Yes, range ones... of a HMG. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm keen to see how some of the more obscure and less common vehicles uh, point out. Yeah, it's... I mean, the thing is, when I started doing it, I originally used the points matrix that uh, I think the Bolt Action Alliance did when K47 dropped. And the thing that always just sort of stuck in my head was there is a, what I would consider an unreasonable points jump when you go from Armour 10 to Armour 11. And going back through the points, most of the lower Armour vehicles down to roundabout Armour 9 are actually costed accurately for what they do there are some that aren't but you know not everything's perfect but then you players were being unnecessarily penalized for these more expensive tanks and you know while i get they are more expensive and rarer as a result it doesn't exactly encourage people to go hey well you know what i might try a list with a veteran yag panther or you know why don't i put in a veteran pershing yeah, it I mean, just, um, everyone sort of tapped out at about armor nine. At those uh, higher points costs, you're really not getting bang for your buck 
per se for some of the big tanks. But on the flip side, I can see from a, a game design slash historical viewpoint, I suppose in a way it's going to make the tanks that were actually quite rare on the battlefield rare on the tabletop too to some extent. But, I mean, uh, as I've always said, bolt action isn't exactly historical. It's, in, in my opinion, it's Hollywood. Um, it's yeah. Historical, it's, it's Hollywood, uh, which, you know, I'll enjoy. I think the problem that we had when V2 dropped was the removal of that additional Neg 1 modifier to Panzerfaust. It really made, you know, the buffs to Tigers and Panthers and everything, that was great. But removing that that additional Neg 1 just took away all the incentive that you had to take them because all of a sudden those Panzerfausts weren't starting at 4s to hit. They were starting at 3s. And that's a lot less of, uh, oh, well, you know, I can probably wear that if they hit me. It was more of a, well, if they fire three at me, I'm probably going to be eating at least two of those hits. Yeah, yep. And I've noticed as per our usual format, we have diverted from the course yet again, even though this time <laughs> we did remain on bolt action uh, as a topic. Um, going back, <laughs> yeah, Going back to hobby, uh, I know, uh, Hari, that um, you've uh, retreated to the mountains. Yes, I've gone back to my faithful Gebergsjäger, um, doing an army for Crete this time around, which is proving a lot of fun and sort of pushing the versatility of the Warlord plastic kits, which in and of itself isn't always easy to do. Um, but I'm finding this one's working out quite well. Uh, and it's to go along with a selector that I've written for it, so... That's a little something that'll be dropping in a few weeks or a couple of months, depending on when I get the army finished. What's uh, what's the basis for the selector? Um, I've sort of it's based on the Fifth Mountain Division when they were sent to Crete to reinforce the Fallschirmjäger after things started getting a little dicey for the Germans. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. So there's a mixture of veteran and regular mountain troops. Um, the 100th and the 95th regiments, if I'm remembering correctly, were they'd just come out of the campaign in Greece, so they were still keyed up for action. But the 141st regiment was pulled out of Poland. I'm still not entirely sure why. But the entire division was sort of shuffled in at the last second to replace uh, 22nd Air Landing Division that was had gone through the training and everything to reinforce. And then they ended up in Ploiesti guarding the oil fields. Again, no idea why. So it's light. It's absolutely no vehicles with the exception of a few motorcycles. Everything's infantry-based. So it will play a lot different to a traditional German force, at least I hope. That's good. Have you got mules? Um, I'm think I've got a couple of models. I haven't written rules for them, but I kind of feel like I should now. I think they should have easily catches fire. <laughs> oh my God. That's never going away. <laughs> Sneaky and his flammable mule circus. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, Sneaky, I understand you've been doing quite a bit of uh, hobby work recently. Do you want to fill us in on that? 
Yeah, geez, have I what? Um, so since the last time we uh, we did the podcast, I've done, let's see, one, two, three, four, maybe five armies since then, um, none of which are my own. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's been a, been an interesting sort of uh, experience. Um, I think it's, it's, it's been good, actually. It's kept me somewhat sane um, uh, throughout this period, and, and it's certainly been, been very useful just to get some extra, uh, extra cash coming through, um, not being working at the moment and with no uh, real prospects of that changing until um, the sort of plague winds shift a little bit and we can, we can leave the house. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, interesting sort of, sort of process, um, I guess. Learned, learned a lot about how to actually uh, spec out a job with a, with a client and, you know, what are the sets of questions that you need to be asking to make sure that at the end of that they get something that they're happy with in a reasonable sort of time frame. Um, and whatnot. I mean, it, it is easier working in historicals than it is uh, with a fantasy or science fiction army because you've, you've got that baseline of um, reality, so to speak. There, yeah, you're green, not, green is green sort of thing rather than... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't have a, a lot of scope for going right off the reservation there, but it's... Nonetheless, there's still a lot of questions that you've got to check to make sure that you're not imagining something different uh, at the end. And it, some of it's just real simple things like, um, do you want eyeballs um, on your men, not just like a plate of them, but, you know. Um, yes, I will take your eyeballs, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Just I'll have a, 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 a white wine Chianti, thanks. Yeah, a big beholder on a plate. Um, yeah, yeah. Do what, do what? How do you want your limbs done? That's not suggestive. That I mean, on the basis, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, all that that kind of shit. Um, yeah, flashback to CanCon. The. Yeah. So it's it's been good just to have something to focus on and just sit down every day for a couple of hours and and just knock it out. Um, yeah. Th- and uh, if someone wants to go have a look at some of the armies you've produced, uh, where can they go? Well, uh, for the, I'll be doing a proper website uh, in the not-too-distant future, but for the time being, uh, if you jump onto Facebook and search for Iron Harvest Studio, uh, you'll see a bunch of um, uh, galleries there of, of uh, stuff that I've done. Um, if you want a quote, just flick us a message through there and uh, I'll get in touch that way. Fantastic. And uh, now you said four to five armies that you've popped out. Have they all been uh, bolt-action armies or a bit of a mix? Uh, they've, 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 that, that's, that's all the bolt-action stuff. Um, there's some other stuff I've done as well. Um, I'm working on the uh, the Kingdom Death core set uh, for someone, but that stuff is super, super fiddly, and I can sort of only do, do that one miniature at a time. So I'm sort of just doing that slowly, slowly, uh, chipping away through it, um, and I've nearly finished my first uh, 15 mil Napoleonics army now, which was a bigger job than I actually thought. <laughs> it ended up taking fucking forever. Yeah, 15 yes. mil. I mean, Jesus. 
Yeah. I've uh, I've got a stack of 15 mil uh, World War Two stuff, which is mainly still in boxes, and um, pulled some of the infantry out. And went, oh, you know, it's smaller, less details, easier to paint. Took one look at them, and just went, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, <laughs> your optical nerves kind of go into spasm just thinking about it. Oh, especially for Napoleonics, where you've got all those cross white cross belts across everything, and. Um, it, it it is interesting though. Um, initially, I was thinking, God, I'm I'm just terrible at, at painting these because um, what I had was really really old. Like the um, I think the first generation minifigs uh, stuff from the the seventies. Um, but I got hold of a bunch of Eureka's eighteen Eureka and ABs. Um, uh, 18 millimeter figures, which are a little bit bigger and chunkier. They're almost like a, a heroic st- scaled version of, of a 15 millimeter figure, um, and they're much easier to paint. Um, the same way that a um, heroically scaled 28 is a little bit easier to, to handle than than a true scale one. Yeah, um, the, the uh, details a little bit more defined and easier to spot, I guess. Yeah, that's that's right, and I guess also because they're they're just newer molds, uh, better casting technology, um, and so on. So, in the fullness of time, I will do a French army um, as well, but I'll do, make that all out of uh, the the AB and Eureka stuff, which is great as well because they're, they're just down the road. Um, yeah, so I can either drop in there and pick it up, or uh, I'll just get it posted across. Yeah, no, um, so I actually um, bought some of their uh, 28mm ultra-modern stuff just this past uh, month just to have a little play around with. Yeah, they're, they're nice, aren't they? I mean, the stuff runs the gamut from just bizarre uh, through to, to really good. Um, I mean, the, I, I've a big chunk of my Russian army is uh, is their recent um, uh, World War II Soviets, and they're, they're really nice figures. Um but yeah. yeah, because they 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 do all sorts of stuff from all sorts of people. Um, <laughs> you can go down some really strange rabbit holes on that web website. Yeah, I've actually been eyeing eyeing off some of their uh, World War Two Australian Jungle Division stuff um, to add to to my army. But um, often my eyes are bigger than my painting tables, so <laughs> it'll it'll have to wait. Yeah, I'm I'm in the the same boat. I mean, I'm sort of slowly trying to chip away at my own stuff in between doing doing jobs for other people and not um hoard <laughs> a lot of shit because i mean yeah. yeah money's tight and i've i've got a, enough stuff to be getting on with um i mean my my project that i woke up one morning and thought surely nobody's done zombie napoleonic french army in 28 mil lo and behold actually eureka do have about 10 or 15 Um, and then i got thinking oh yeah i could do all this stuff with and it'd it'd just take a box of uh perry or warlord plastic um miniatures to do it i just sort of went you know what finish what you've already got first Uh, so i i did uh, i I do have a bunch of um uh hungarian stuff which is on the way down uh to me for a client at the moment and Um, so I, I sort of did did a couple of squads, I think, as a bit of a test, just to um, you know see how they turned out, and that they seem to go down well. So I'm getting the rest of that in the mail soon. But that that's a good way for me to finish my Hungarian army 
um, because once I've got the um, the paints paints all mixed up, um, I may as well just do a whole lot of them all at once and, and sort of feed it through the assembly line process that way. Nice, nice. I look forward to seeing the uh, the finished product yeah. for you Hungarians. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, the, it's it's nice. There are, there are a range of different uh, miniatures. So most of the ones I'm, I'm doing for this fellow are the um, uh, Great Escape Games ones, whereas I, I've got the, the Warlord uh, ones. The, the Great Escape stuff's nice, and I mean, it's such a unusual sort of subject area you, there's just not a lot on the market anyway so um, you've just kind of got to be grateful for whatever you can get yeah they also do um romanians i've got about a nearly a platoon's worth um yet to uh to finish up uh, of their romanians which are fairly nice sculpts yeah right nice i don't think anyone does bulgarians do that I, i've no, never seen any i don't think i've ever seen a bulgarian oh, army i've seen germans painted white Used as Bulgarians, but never a official Bulgarian sculpt. No, I do recall seeing something once, and I don't know if it was a homebrew conver- bunch of conversions or um, or if it was uh, an actual line, to be honest. I think it might have been a kitbash, because if I'm remembering correctly, the only official Bulgarian lines that I've seen are in 15 mil. Yeah, I've just quickly uh, Googled it out of curiosity. Oh, here we go. It's going to drop another 100. No, no, not yet. (laughs) Um, Badger Games. I'm throwing a panther. Badger Games actually does 28mm Bulgarians. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I knew I'd seen them somewhere. Yeah, and that gets gets around to the the next interesting thing, I guess. you know, what part of the reason I was saying that, you know, I want to build as much stuff as I can out of the um, AB a, and Eureka ranges is that they're available domestically because international postage um, is a shit show. <laughs> right oh. at the moment. Is oh, yeah. So, you know, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if that, that continues for quite some time moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm starting to have have some thoughts about um, you know actually stocking um, some of the more weird and woolly international ranges in a in a small scale way, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, you know, to, just to sort of get around some of that stuff. Um, you know, because I, I've been I've sent a couple of parcels internationally. The, the worst one, uh, and this was fully tracked through DHL or whatever it was, and it took three months to get to America, which is, uh, I, I would, would have expected that in the past to take about five days. Um, so something is seriously wrong with the, the international supply chain. Yeah, I, said, I suppose it's uh, less movement uh, these days, thanks to the old Rona. Yeah, yeah. the States. I've had a couple of packages come from the UK, and that took two weeks. Yeah, it's mostly the state states. Uh, UK seems to still be all right. Um, huh. Yeah, it's it's just so unpredictable. It's it's really really hard to to say what'll what'll the US happen. Has a f- has had a few changes recently with uh, the United States postal system and a few other things, I believe, as well. So that oh yeah yeah well. that's right. They pulled out of they pulled out of that treaty, didn't they? That, so the the way that 
um, the cost sharing about sending and receiving uh, international mail is is governed by an international treaty that says, you know, um, the sending country pays X amount and the receiving country does the balance. However they did, um, America's scrapped the whole thing now. So um, expect your parcels coming from America to cost an awful lot more uh, into the future and expect prob- probably to be seeing a lot more private alternatives, your, your DHLs and FedEx and, and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, then. I've been uh, chipping away at my early war Blitzkrieg projects. Um, I was running the printer Red Hot, uh, spitting out vehicles for 1939 to 41. Um, I've actually now can pretty much cover every armoured selection for the Polish army, uh, other than the six-ton tanks, which the 7TP uh, single and twin turret versions are almost identical anyway. Um, my early war Blitzkrieg, I can pretty much cover the 1939 and 1940 selectors for vehicles from that. And I'm going to kick off with some French once I get a few parts for my printer. Actually, it's uh, funny, sneaky, I, those prints I did for you the other week. I um, started on a terrain piece directly after that. And the Bowden tube, which uh, feeds the filament through to the hot end, uh, decided to um, come loose. So I'm actually waiting on a replacement for I can oh, get back to printing. So we timed that well getting those ones done. Yeah, it didn't like your hot nozzle, eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that, that is an interesting thing now that you mention it. So I, I, I sort of uh, started the cleanup process on them, and it's it'll be, be a bit of a learning curve about how best to get rid of that those striation marks without kind yeah. of messing up yep. the rest of the, the detail. Um, I've heard so, various different ways to do it. Uh, some people swear by uh, liquid green stuff, a very mm-hmm. watered-down layer, and then sanding. Um, others talk about... Um, doing like a there are products out there that can be used to seal those in or at least fill the gaps uh like liquid base almost like a varnish i suppose so yeah there are various ways that people um swear by i guess yeah yeah so what what i did was um well i, I haven't finished just yet but um i, I sanded sanded as much as i as i could and some bits i'd sort of scrape down with with the edge of a of a knife but i'm thinking um, I'll have a go with a gloss varnish after that, just to try and level that that surface off, and then prime on top of that and see how it, how it looks at the end. Uh, nice. Keep me posted. Uh, I'll be very interested to see um, for my own information as well how that uh, how that works. Yeah, I, I guess it's just going to be one of those things. We'll we'll figure it out more or less once, and then it's it's golden for the for the rest of it. Yeah, you know, I, I was. Trying, thinking of trying to do some of that uh, with a with a Dremel uh, tool, but I uh, pulled my Dremel out, and there's a piece missing in the chuck uh, kind of arrangement, which means it won't hold a bit for now. So until I find where I've put that, <laughs> that idea is not on the card. You know, but of course, there's the, not be so. No, and of course, there's the the, the question about uh, don't sand that shit without a mask. Um, yes, of course. Yeah, and it is, it is um, PLA plus filament, which is apparently um, organic based rather than petroleum based. But um, yeah, still, I wouldn't be uh, breathing that stuff in. I, I think it's it's less a matter of what it's made of, and more a matter of the f- the fineness of that uh, 
stuff is like a lung lung irritant. Um, I I don't know that they're talking so much about it being um, toxic, uh, so much as it being like um, yeah, it's it's such fine particles that yeah. they they get into right, right into the bottom of your lungs in a real nasty sort of way. Um, Moving on. Um, So, shall we talk a little bit about new releases and upcoming releases? Yeah. Well, the uh, I I got the Stalingrad book in the mail the other day. Um, Yeah, it's a a nice book. It is. Yeah. Um, I I think it's one of the better ones. I mean, it's it's not huge on new units, but I think we're really reaching the end of the the unit cycle. Certainly from the German point of view, there's not a lot left to chuck in there. we still don't have a unit entry for a field kitchen. True, yeah. Goulash cannon. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in Berlin last, I, I was at a uh, at a music festival and they had one set up there. I had, I actually had dinner for a field kitchen goulash. or a goulash cannon. Goulash cannon, old school one. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where the where the hell they found that, but um, yeah, it was an interesting. Uh, Sort of thing, um, yeah. I mean, so it's 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 uh, in terms of the background, it's it's a really strong book. Um, I think the scenarios are actually really good. Yeah, in, in yeah I'm, I'm keen to give some of those a go. I've um, I've actually got some print files from uh, for a heap of various iconic Stalingrad um, buildings, like the Tractor Factory, Pavlov's House, um, the uh, Oh, the big uh, corner um, department store and a few like that. So mm. obviously multi-day prints um, take me quite some time to get them printed out. But uh, yeah, I'd be keen to give some of those a whirl once uh, the world yeah. comes down and is a little less post-apocalyptic. Yeah, well, um, funnily enough, the, the army I'm working on at the moment, which is uh, going to be a club army for the League of Ancients, is uh, a German Stalingrad uh, army. So certainly have something to uh, run all of those selectors with. Mm. I saw the photos of those the other night. Beautiful work so far. Yeah, it's, it's coming along. I mean, the, the thing I've noticed now, like, because I've got to try and work to, to pace somewhat, is um, yeah, I'm, I'm essentially paint, batch painting the whole army all at once, um, which means for the first week or something, it, it really is a slog. Because you're just going, oh, boots times forty-five. <laughs> just sitting there going, this this doesn't feel like it's getting anywhere. Until suddenly you turn the corner on about the second layer of highlights, and you're like, oh shit, actually that looks pretty good now. Um, so it it does require a sort of different level of patience uh, of just going, well, I'm going to sit here for six hours with a podcast going, and yeah, it's like grinding in a Leveling up in a video game, sort of thing. You know, you've just got to run around. Um, up. Diablo two dungeon crawler days. Yeah, beating <laughs> up pigs or something. <laughs> Hunting wild boars and level one slimes. Yeah, yeah. Now here's here's a question for you, sneaky. Um, how are you looking at basing them? What's uh, how are you going to do the bases? Well, um, the the brief was that um not too overwhelming, right? So I, my initial feeling was do them the way that I did my Budapest uh, Hungarians, which is a sort of 
mixture of rocks and sand and then bricks and bits of like I-beam and whatever. But the consensus was that that might be a bit distracting. Um, so it'll be certainly snow. Um, um, but can you believe this? I ran out of sand, basing sand, the other day. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, well, I'm fucked if I'm going to order like uh, a kilo of aquarium sand and pay $30 postage or something stupid like that. Um, so I've got to wait until the next time we stock up the cat litter and just buy a, a huge sack of uh, terrarium or aquarium sand. From the if you can get to, get to Bunnings, they do a um, 20 kilo uh, washed playground sand, which is a finer sort of sand. For about well, I actually, I, actually went down, I actually went down to the uh, local school <laughs> the other day with a, a bag <laughs> in my pocket and I just filled it up out of the, out of the sand pit. Uh, I'm sure I got some bonus cat turds and all sorts of shit in there, but uh, I might <laughs> have awesome. to wash and dry it. Well, if there's a wave three for Corona, we know where it's come from. Yeah, yeah. Cat coronavirus. Um, <laughs> no, but it's... Uh, normally, I, I have in my basing mix. I have about three different sizes. Um, so it's like a fine sand, then there's like a chunky kind of quartz sand, um, and a bunch of uh, railway ballast kind of stuff in there. And uh, I, I thought I would never run out of out of that, but uh, eventually I did. So I have to do something about that. Um, but yeah, so probably. Um, uh, just the odd bit of like smashed up masonry or um, wood or something, but try and keep it kind of low key uh, so that the focus is nice. more on the figures. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sand, uh, leads us nice little uh, segue there onto this weekend's uh, pre order that popped up the latest campaign book for Mariana and Palau Islands. Yeah, that uh, that comes with the uh, the dog from the thing, <laughs> the actual <laughs> demon dog. <laughs> it's like the, I really hate to say like, it, but that is a terrible sculpt of the dog. It's like the canine version of the old uh, Nagash model from um, Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> the old skeleton. Oh man. god! Oh, the original one that was like the worst model Games Workshop ever ever made. <laughs> the old skeleton <laughs> clown. Yeah, it's um, look, the handler is a nice sculpt. Um, it's the dog's jaw that really does it for me as being, uh, yeah, it's kind of distended in a supernatural kind of way. Like the fucking like hound of the Baskervilles. Far guest of Whitby. Having said that, I have pre ordered the book because that's just the kind of crazy guy I am. Yeah, I, I prob- I'll probably give it a miss, um, given that I don't have any Pacific armies. Um, but I'm, I'm quite far behind the release cycle in terms of the books now. Um, uh, in in my, old, my old job, we, we actually had them on the, had the digital versions available um, on our platform. So I, I would just kind of uh, read them and flip through them there, but uh, I haven't actually even read uh, the D-Day book yet, which I should probably remedy at some point. Uh, yeah, Naval Artillery Observers, that's all you need to know about that book. Filthy. Yeah, absolutely yeah. filthy. Well, I'm kind of in the middle, actually, of, of setting up my um, ABN 
uh, for non-Australians, that's your, your sort of tax compliance uh, stuff to, to make it so that uh, research materials and paint and whatever are tax deductible. And uh, when that comes through, I might just sort of bring, bring all that stuff up to speed. Speaking of upcoming releases, I've just bounced onto the Kindle app and just punched in Warlord Games. So for anyone with Kindle, uh, Mariana and Palau will be available on the 3rd of September. Uh, as a slight aside, Bolt Action Korea has a one-star rating. And 28th of January 2021, I don't know if anything else has confirmed this, but we have uh, Bolt Action Campaign D-Day, British and Canadian sectors. Yeah, the, um, the mention of that actually did the rounds uh, a month or two ago, maybe a little more, on some of the international pages. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that yeah really focuses on on Khan and and uh, the northern, uh, well, northern so to speak beaches with the British and Canadian landings uh, more so than. Hopefully, the, there'll uh, be something in there for the Polish as well. Well, I would hope so. Um, so you'd be looking at um, Sword and Juno beaches, gold. Uh, Sword and Juno rather than uh, Utah and Omaha. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what comes out in that. Mm. Here's hoping. Yeah. Um, has anyone heard any uh, tidbits or information of what might be in the uh, Marianas and Palau book? Haven't heard a thing. Everything's been radio silence. Yeah, so yeah I haven't heard anything. It's, uh, yeah, I haven't really come across anything per se. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't done a lot of digging. But, um, yeah, it'd be, I'm really keen to see what's in it. I hope uh, it's uh, it's up to the standard of some of the recent books like Stalingrad and, and uh, Budapest. They were, you know, in my, my opinion, some of the gold star level books. Mm, absolutely. I mean, we have, we've, been pretty spoiled in terms of good books with, you know, Stalingrad, Budapest, as you mentioned, New Guinea, um, Battle of the Bulge, certainly. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they whether we get any sort of new units for the US Marines or even the US Army. Yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, the uh, US Marines isn't uh, a force that I've really dug deep into. I've, I've got... Uh, two, having said that, I've got two marine forces yet to finish. I've got a Wake Island um, force based off of uh, pulp action miniatures. They do sort of inter and pre-war um, stuff for sort of pulp action adventure type stuff. And I've got a um, marine force that I've based around Guadalcanal. Both both are yet to fully be uh, built yet, but uh, that I really haven't dug Didn't into. Didn't I tell much. you that Guadalcanal force? No, no, it was actually before we met. I, um, oh, good lord! Yeah, wow. My very first purchase buying into Bolt Action back in twenty fifteen, after playing uh, Rising uh, Rising Storm, um, I bought a box of Marines and a box of Japanese. Uh, neither of which are yet to be fully built or painted. Jesus. <laughs> It's hard to keep track of what I sell these days. Yeah. It's, like I said, you just kind of count them in, in uh, the terms of Panthers. Yeah. Well, there's going to be at least four Panthers in this room that will never leave, so <laughs> that's something. 
So, uh, speaking of old, outstanding uh, projects that are yet to be done, um, shall we discuss uh, motivation and um, ways of keeping on top of getting your projects done in this time of isolation? Uh, different ways to attack the pile. Yeah. Oh, sneaky. Well, um, yeah. Look, my, for me, it's it's a case of uh, if I'm not working on something, I'm pacing up and down in my little apartment, uh, uh, going quietly mad with with worry. So, uh, I find find that a good motivator, um, just to yeah, keep yourself busy, or or you'll just lose the plot completely. I mean, we're. Uh, at the moment, we're allowed out of the house technically for an hour a day. Um, so for those of us that live in um, small apartments without a backyard, um, that's very much being cooped up inside. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's that or, I don't know what, just play video games on the couch. Um, you know, if I were working on something for myself, I would be doing it in small chunks, uh, manageable chunks, because you, you don't want to get discouraged by um, pulling everything out and putting it on the workbench and then you look at it and it's too big and it's all too hard, you know. So I would be, be looking at doing it in um, squads, you know, or work on a tank till it's finished sort of thing and maybe have two projects on the go at once so when you get a bit bored of one, you pull something else out. Now, here's a question. Um, do you ever get to the point where you kind of look at all the potential projects you've got on the go or miniatures to do and go, I really don't know what I should be painting because there is too much or there's a bit of variety and I'm not sure what I feel about? Um, and if so, how do you get around that? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Um, I, I, I've, I've made it a, a project for this year to try and really reduce uh, the number of unpainted miniatures that I've, that I've got on hand. Um, and I've sort of been chewing through it pretty, pretty regularly. Um, not as much as I would have done if, if I wasn't uh, doing work for other people. Um, so because I, I, I game in a lot of different time periods, um, I'll often do something like, you know, great, I'll do 10 of these Napoleonic 28s um, when that's done, I'll do some medievals or I'll do some Second World War stuff um, and just keep kind of rotating it around through that so that there's there's that sense of variety and you don't feel like you've just um, uh, looking at piles and piles of Soviet brown uniforms or something like that, you know? Yeah, Harry, how about yourself? Um, I've kind of... As a motivator for this creep force I'm working on, I sold off my last fully painted army. So the fins that I took to Cancon and that Sneaky took great delight in tearing apart over the course of about a turn, uh, they are gone. So <laughs> I'm essentially working on a blank slate, which has its pros and its cons. Um, it's easy to focus in the sense that okay, I've got a squad of Jaegers to work on, I'm just going to paint them. <clears throat> but at the same time, you're also distracted by, well, I've got a workbench that has multiple uh, different ranges that I could also work on. So I think the hard part for me is not having that tournament deadline. Yeah. Having, with the removal of that sort of uh, focusing pressure, 
you sort of your mind tends to wander and about halfway through painting feel gray you're going well why don't i paint a few clone troopers or how about some roman legionnaires or something um but at the same time without having a tournament deadline i can now sit down and say okay i'm working on this force not to be competitive i'm working on this for me and I can take it at my own pace. So if I don't feel like painting on a particular afternoon, there's nothing to really say, well, I'm going to force myself to paint. I can just take it easy. Um, but again, you know, different strokes for different folks, that doesn't always work. And you do still end up with a fairly significant backlog. But I think as Sneaky said, you know, doing 10 at a time, it's not a bad idea. I've currently got five that I'm painting and five that I'm building. So I get that nice variation there. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the thing about you know not having uh, upcoming tournaments or events or even just club games, um, certainly for us, even being able to, to go around to someone's house and play in the garage. Um, I, could, I could see how that would be a real demotivator. But you can think about it as another thing, in another way as well. That it's like, you know, um, in in farming terms, we're, we're just having a fallow season. We're all just recharging our batteries, and with a bit of luck, we'll come out of this and um, go. Oh well, during that time, look at what I did. There's here's this cool new thing that uh, that I did, and and part of the the trick of coming out of this intact, I think, is is managing your your thinking and and uh you know your thought processes and staying positive about it um and maybe that's one approach that might work for some people i don't know yeah um, um as as many of our long-term listeners will know i struggle big time with i'll be adhd oh something shiny gotta paint it oh something shiny gotta paint it well, there's that too, um, which does lead to a ever-increasing pile of metal and plastic to paint. Um, I've gone uber-nerd on uh, how I go about it. Um, like Sneaky, I do many different um, eras of gaming, um, in particular a lot of the uh, sharp practice settings. Um so I actually created the ultimate gamer chart, and I have a random generator for what I paint if I can't. <laughs> so I will actually if sit down and go, right, for the next hour, I am rolling number four. Number four is uh, Napoleonics. I'm going to paint Napoleonics for an hour at the end of that hour. Unless I'm really in the groove and really motivated to keep going, I'll roll the dice again. And I found that's actually helping me get... Not necessarily armies completed, but um, just individual miniatures and squads uh, getting some paint on it so I can uh, get, once we can game again, I can game different eras and actually have something to put on the table. Good one, yeah. Wow, that's impressive. I honestly couldn't commit to a system like that. I I think that would go, I'd go insane. Well, we've also established I'm not the uh, most sanest of individuals, so yeah. <laughs> um, well, that, you know. On top of that, I um, I remember a couple of years back joining a Facebook page called One Hour a Night, which was based on uh, doing an hour of hobby each day or each evening. Um, and the group actually would uh, post, members would post their progress of their hours work. Um, I 
keep a running spreadsheet on the number of hours I spend on hobby, painting, and so forth, um, and how much I get done. So that kind of motivates me sometimes if I see I'm lagging behind an hour or two here or there. It um, motivates me when I've got some spare time to sort of roll those dice and see what I'm going to work on next. Do you, do you have most of your stuff um, kind of prepped up? Uh, base coded or whatever and then pull it out or does that hour include you know assembly um, and, and priming a bit, and like that? bit of both um so i've got looking at my shelves now i've got three full shelves of undercoated miniatures and not a lot of shelf space in between um and they're also divided up by era and um army and yeah so i do have quite a lot of undercoated um miniatures that are all black or might have particular uh, you know, the flesh done or uniform done or something that I kind of lost interest halfway through. But, yeah, so that, that hour will include building, um, cleaning, um, undercoating. That, that's all included in, in how I, I track my time. Yeah, cool. Because I, I found, you know, that there's there's a lot of stuff that, um, I mean, it's boring, boring work whether you're doing one or you're doing 50. Um, kind of assembly is a good example of um, of that and and there's some arguments that that doing a lot all at once is actually more efficient with your time than doing one or two and then putting it all away again yeah Uh, yeah i I find i i tend to when i paint i um sometimes get lost in the miniature and i'll work i'll I'll start batch painting 10 and i'll do one color then next time around it'll be eight or nine of them get the next color and so i end up down to the point where I'm working on one or two miniatures entirely, the ones that really grab my attention or really enjoying getting paint on. So I'll have a squad with um, one or two completed and, and eight or nine in various uh, various degrees of being painted. Hmm. Yeah. I think, but, um, you know, the batch painting is, it helps when you're doing historicals. I find it really easy to start cranking out, Germans particularly. Um, but after a while, you see everything in shades of field grey, and after a certain point, I've just got to switch off. Yeah, yeah, it's, and that's why it's good to have two different um, things on the go at, at once. Um, yeah, I, I've painted a shitload of field grey this this year, and I, I agree, you, it, it is just something that you get sick to the back teeth of looking at. Um, which is why I'm keeping the uh, Kingdom Death stuff close to hand, uh, because it's it's completely the opposite of that. You know, it's that that really. I mean, weird. touching on that, as a commission painter, how do you handle that sort of when you get to that point where you're going? I don't know if I can keep pushing through this. Do um, you have yeah, there's commissions going at once, or um, I don't have that luxury really at the moment um, because I'm just sort of building out that that pipeline. Um, I've kind of got two because I mean the, the Kingdom Death stuff uh, is a job for somebody else, but I I said look I'll, I'll do this for you at very much at um, at mates rates because I said that we would play that campaign together when it's when it's all finished. Um, but I did also tell him, look, I'm not going to give you a time when this when this will be finished um, because I'm, I'm going to prioritise um, paid work coming through. Um, so that does give me something else to, to work on and just sort of flip back and forth with it. Um, if it weren't for that, I would keep um, 
a second squad of my own projects and ideally something that's completely different um, to hand as a bit of a palate cleanser. Um, not to not to be doing hours and hours on, but just to go, um, one day you might get up and it's a Saturday, for example, um, and I'm going to work on that. So um, to give you an example of how that works, right, um, the analogy I'll use is, is pants are important, um, and this is a trap that a lot of people who work from home get sucked into is for the first little while, um, you have that big luxury that you're not having to get dressed and shine your shoes and go into the office and, and all of that, uh, and you start spending all day in your pyjamas. But uh, your motivation re reflects that. Um, you're not sort of working at it as if it were an actual job that you, that you do and you get paid at the end of, end of that. Um, and reading through the, the blogs of, of other uh, commission painters elsewhere, they, they do talk about that a lot, that it's, it's important to uh, keep a sense of reality about that. So um, I, I still get up at the same time that I would get up, would have, was getting up when I went into the office. Um, uh, my wife sits, sits up in the next room and works from home in there. Uh, maybe I go go out for for a walk, although less so at the moment because of the uh, the stage four restrictions. Um, and then you know put on a podcast, and I'll work right through to lunchtime. Um, but consequently, in order not to just spend all day doing this, you know, um, I'll treat the weekend like the weekend as well, yeah, and, and take just, a break. Yeah, take a break and just reset. Work on some music play some games, do, do, do something else. Um, because I could see how this could burn you out if you weren't um, pacing yourself properly. You know, um, and that's why I'm sort of putting out feelers now. Although I, I did notice um, that um, in the last week or two, since the stage four has really started to bite people, uh, the number of people on the um, Warhammer Facebook group Australia going, I'll take any, any painting jobs going. Um, seems like a lot of other people have that idea as well, um, which is a little bit of an advantage about being more or less a specialist historical painter, um, but there, there aren't many people working in that space, um, whereas the uh, 40K and fantasy stuff is, is quite crowded. Um, and and they, they have different ways of doing things. I mean, they, they have that whole idea about... Um, level one, two, and three, that, yeah, level one is just when you need a thousand orcs painted up and they're just <laughs> really just sprayed green and, and a little bit of a wash and that's, that's it. Um, yeah, I, I don't, don't work that way. I, I think I would feel bad about the work that I was turning out if it was set up like that. Um, but the great advantage is that outside of a very small number of historical games, not, not many of them require that enormous scale of, um, of figures. And I don't think anyone's going to come along and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to start out with Hail Caesar. Can you paint up a thousand Celts? For me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's, that's a game that just is, is so oversized in 28 millimeter that uh, you, you're kind of using a collection that you've built up over 30 years uh, in most cases. Um, but, yeah, so like I said, pants are important. Um, I tend to make myself um, 
small goals. Like, so if I'm working on a um, 30 man plastic box set, I'll do the whole thing about going, okay, I'm painting boots and I'll do 10 of them and then I'll take a break and stretch and make a cup of tea or something. Then I'll come back and do another 10 and then I'll feed the cat or whatever it might be. Um, just to keep it cycling through that. So you're always pushing yourself to go, yeah, I'm feeling a bit tired now, but I've only got three more to go. And then it's the end of that batch of 10. Um, so you, you do push through quite a lot that way. But um, that being said, you do need to really pay attention to your back uh, and your eyes. Um, if you're anything like me and you've had um, shoulder and neck problems from typing all day or just working at a poorly set up, uh, ergonomic workstation um, it's it's really important to listen to what your body's saying and if it's saying oh, get up and move and do some stretches just to, to do it um, because it just takes one uh, bad day and you can be out of action for a week and mm, I hear that yeah it's um I suppose everyone's got their own little tricks and tips to keeping themselves motivated or uh, tricking. Sometimes I find you almost have to trick yourself into um, into doing stuff like, uh, to take a work example, putting together a, um, a file, I'll do sort of some of the tick and flicks, the quick and easy stuff. So then I get through all that and I go, oh, it's only this one long bit I've got to type out now. So it's... Um, it kind of tricks me to go and look at all this other paperwork. It's this other pile of papers that's sitting here. It's only only two more pages and then I'm done sort of thing. Uh, I suppose painting can be that way a bit too. It's like um, today I was finishing off some work on the Russian Tachanka that I started a long time ago. I had um, two, two crew that uh, needed some detailing and um, so they're now done. It's just the horses to go. So it's that, oh, I'm almost there. It's only a tiny bit to go. Sort of, uh, and I, I think that it's it's an important thing to maintain that motivation is to actually finish things, um, even if it, if it's sort of small, if it's just one squad or one vehicle or something, so that you're not just feeling like oh, I'm looking at this sea of half finished stuff and I'm never getting that yeah, buzz of, of of finishing something, you know. So um, even small goals is it's it's better to complete a lot of small goals than to Chew, chew the cud like a cow on a really big one and get demotivated and slow down and not not get there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that I mean, makes sense. I mean, as, as we're doing this podcast, um, I've been cleaning up and basing a um, Russian naval force and I've probably got 30 guys lined out in front of me now that are all bare metal but uh, are now actually finally glued to bases after sitting in a box for quite some time. But it's just looking at them going, wow, that is a lot more uh, metal that's going to need painting. Mm. I've taken that approach with the Jaegers. I've just, I've built five and I've gone, okay, I'm going to paint them. And when they're done, when they're finished, you know, washed, highlighted, all that, then I'll go and do the rest of the force. But at least then I've got something that I can look at and go, okay, they're done. That's the standard I'm working to. Yeah, it's good to have that, that motivation that proof of concept, you know, that um, if it's if it's a colour scheme that you haven't painted before, 
um, it is good to to do maybe five and just do little variations on on the theme, so to speak, and then you just pick the one that you like the best and go right. This is what we're working on. Uh, you can you can retrofit the other four to that, but that way you can, you can do a comparison between uh, what does it look like with three levels of highlights versus what does four look like, or uh, what does it look like if I do this wash rather than another wash on them. Um, and you, that way you've also got one that's finished, and you go, cool, I can mentally picture now what this is going to look like when it's done. And and that's like a, a bit of a uh, carrot on a on a rope in front of the donkey to, to kind of keep you going. And we're back on the donkeys. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's a Tijuana donkey show. So. <laughs> Dog and pony show, as uh, as we said. <laughs> yeah. So if uh, any listeners have their own uh, techniques that might be a little different to um, motivate themselves or to keep on track when uh, plowing through the uh, the pile of lead uh, that needs painting, um, drop us a line on the Facebook page and um, share uh, your techniques because you never know; it might help someone else uh, clear up some of their backlog. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, um, I think we're kind of getting towards the end of the uh, the show this time round. Uh, anything else from from either you two fine gents? No, nothing from me. No, not much. Um, you know, stay sane, stay motivated, really, as much and as people can. Most of all, stay healthy and stay safe. Yeah, absolutely, and. If anyone has any inclination, please don't join any of the million Karen marches. I, we don't need to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Stay home. Stop the spread, please. We all want to get back out and game again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, if you have any questions, queries, complaints, um, or praise, uh, you can find us on Facebook under the Bacon Burgers. Uh, we also have a Discord channel, uh, which I have to admit has been kind of quiet lately. Um, to be honest, I haven't been on there quite as much as I should have, but uh, something we'll look at firing up again. Now uh, you can find the link to that posted in the uh, pinned post on our Facebook page. Um, we have some audio channels, um, general channels, and also for some World War II gaming. So if you're a fan of War Thunder, Hell at Loose, or any other uh, World War II game um, on the PC, uh, since we can't leave and game in person, maybe we can do it virtually. Um, tabletop Simulator or the like, jump on there, uh, jump into a channel. There's always usually uh, quite a few people online. So if I have a quick look now, yeah, there's currently 14 people who are online, not necessarily in the channel, but uh, jump on in um, and get some games going. Uh, I might even jump in, try to get the workbench Wednesday nights and Sunday sessions rolling again at some point in the next week or two. I'm back to regular hours as opposed to shift work. So um, yeah, we'll try to get that going again and... Um, relieve some of the uh, inane boredom and um, mind-numbingness that is isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Try and help people and just, you know, get through it, really. All right. Uh, 
wrap it up there. This is uh, Wild Blue Cheese signing off. Uh, thank you to our guest, the Restless Wargamer. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, everyone. Adios, muchachos. Adios.